welcome to the Business Matters Podcast. We're recording it today in the Wynn Technology Studio at the Eau Claire Area Chamber of Commerce. And we do want to give thanks to our Paragon sponsor, Royal Credit Union. I'm Scott Rogers. I'm Vice President, Governmental Affairs at the Eau Claire Area Chamber of Commerce. And we're joined today by Wisconsin State Senator Kathy Bernier from Chippewa Falls, who represents District 23 for us in Madison. Uh, Senator Bernier has chosen not to seek re-election this fall, so we're going to take advantage of uh, some time with her today to talk about her career in public service and uh, things that she'd like to pass along as she uh, ends her service in the state Senate. Uh, we are recording this program on May 9th for release on May 20th to give a little perspective on what might be uh, issues and events going on. And really, uh, the impetus for our having this visit today really goes back to our annual 28th annual Chippewa Valley Rally that we held in Madison on February, uh, back in February. And uh, we knew at that time, Senator Bernier, that your public service career was uh, coming to an end because you had decided not to run free election. And uh, we want to talk about that a little bit today. I've already been talking too much, so uh, Senator Bernier, welcome. <laughs> My pleasure to be here. You can talk all you want, Scott. Well, we really want to hear from you, not from me. Um, and you've been in public service for a while. Um, I do know that uh, you were a student at UW-Eau Claire, and I know people that served with you in the student senate there. So tell us what led to that uh, part of your uh, public service career. Well, I had set out to run for county clerk, um, having worked for the Women, Infants, and Children program and having experienced um, what I thought was an inept county clerk decision. Um, I thought um, having two semis, all the movers, and the public health department all packed up and ready to go and then say, oh, wait, you can't come um, yet, I thought was um, a a lack of organizational skills, so to speak, and I thought I could do much better than that. So I had decided before running for county clerk that I wanted to get a bachelor's degree. So I already had my eye on being an elected official and having no um, actual experience with um, partisan politics. I likewise had a few years at the University in Eau Claire to analyze um, just what public service is, um, what party preference I would um, choose. And um, after going through all of that, um, I chose Republican. And then I, um, they were looking for a non-traditional student to serve in student senate. And so um, I did that. I don't know how impactful I was. Um, but I did serve with Scott Biederman, and we had great talks. He was a traditional age student. He now is highly involved with the Eau Claire Chamber. And when I was out knocking on doors, I came across his name. And I wrote him a note, because he wasn't home or his wife, and I wrote him a note, do you remember me? And I'll be darned, uh, he did. And he's been a great supporter of mine for many years now. And there's people like that, as I reflect back, I get a little melancholy, Scott, because there's people like Scott Biederman and you folks at the chamber, and my path has crossed so many other really nice people. And um, so for that, um, I'm a little sad, but um, for the raw politics, I am not. Understand. So, yes, Scott was uh, is on our executive committee at the chamber, a business person uh, from the area, and actually served as our board chair during COVID. So it's been an interesting 
ride for everybody as uh, we've gone through uh, all of that. So um, why did you decide to run for the student senate uh, as a stepping stone to become county clerk? That's probably not a usual path. No, no, and I didn't even have a correlation there other than um, someone approached me, one of my professors, and said they were looking for a non-traditional student. And non-traditional students um, generally, we just go to college, we get our education, we absorb as much as we can, we go home, we have kids, we have, you know, other responsibilities, jobs. Um, So... um, I have a hard time saying no, um, you know, so I guess I, I must have said yes. I served a couple of years in that position and met with um, the student senate. I think my, my more impactful moments were just sitting in the student senate office, having conversations with other students like Scott um, and others. Um, and then, of course, in Davie Center, um, us older folks had our corner table where we hung out and I made a lot of good friends um, and still have some of them yet today. So you followed your plan. You ran for county clerk. Obviously you were elected. Uh, So tell us about your service there. Um, Was it what you expected and uh, what years did you actually serve in that office? Well, I graduated in 1998 and my graduation party was my kickoff for county clerk. And um, a friend of mine told me that my campaign looked like it was just orchestrated perfectly and it's always that way from the outside looking in but it's not really true it's a lot of hard work and a lot of missteps but um, I had family members helping me all the way Um, I was surprised that the county board had changed the salary of the county clerk and reduced it from the previous county clerk Um, I didn't know that until I went to the personnel department to sign up for my health insurance and whatever. And I said, oh, my, I make $5,000 a year less than I thought. So um, I stayed working at Connell Supper Club for a while. Um, And then um, I, I, I wrote a paper at the university, and one of my professors asked to use it. And it's called Organizational Politics. And I learned right up close and personal about the organizational politics of Chippewa County, most of which I wasn't impressed with. Um, And there were a lot of issues and problems and things that weren't done, in my opinion. Well, in, in, in other opinions, too, the letter of the law kind of thing. And so I was, um, pretty persnickety about everything following the letter of the law. And I know I was a thorn in many people's side. Um, But I was very fussy about that. And I am to this day, it's probably my reputation, as you may know, um, that um, everything has to be above board, honest and and uh, to the letter of the law, if at all possible. And so um, that was an interesting experience, to say the least. The frustration was, is I didn't have a vote. I could talk to the county board members about what I see as an issue, what I would like them to work on. Oftentimes I'd get, so what do you think I should do about it, kind of a reply. Um, And so that brought me to be highly involved in the the Wisconsin County Clerks Association, where I was the legislative chair. And as the legislative chair, I sat and watched all the legislation that impacted county clerks, constitutional officers, and counties. 
And that is when I saw the budgetary issues, uh, fees being raised, all kinds of uh, imbalance to the budget and the budget deficit. And that is when I decided that um, I now have a four-year term as county clerk. I will not jeopardize my household income. I have a child yet at home. Um, and I could still run for the state legislature where I would have a say and I would have a vote and I could have an impact. And so I ran for, for uh, Wisconsin State Assembly. Um, while I was doing that, I saw a need on my village board that needed to be several needs that needed to be addressed. So I'm now serving on my village board as well. So I'm serving on my village board, I'm the county clerk, and I'm running for the state assembly, and I'm trying to take care of one little teenager. Um, so it, it was um, a challenge, to say the least, um, but I won by 87 votes on election night. And when people talk about the big dump, the ballot dump in the middle of the night, and I know what that is, because I walked into Fannie Hill and all of the Republicans started applauding because I believe I was up over 900 votes at the time. I was all done in Chippewa County. My votes were all totaled as county clerk. And I walked in and Eau Claire was still counting. None of the city of Eau Claire was in yet. And I said, hold on, hold on. Don't get excited. The city of Eau Claire is not in yet. And that 900 vote lead went down to 87 votes in the end. So when the large municipalities, the more liberal um, municipalities come in, a uh, conservative generally has to have a really good lead um, in order to counter um, the Democrat votes in the cities. So we're going to try to handle this chronologically, but you, did you know at that time, having been a county clerk, first of all, were you confident those election results were accurate? I was very confident, and Kristen Dexter is the person I ran against, and, um, you know, she asked for a recount, and, you know, I, that was her right to do. It was within the margin of, um, of that request. However, I was extraordinarily confident that um, even with 20-plus thousand votes, that it would not fluctuate more than 20. In the end... It fluctuated um, six votes. I believe in the end, after the recount, um, I had won by 93 votes. Uh, so I was very confident um, in the process at the time, and I still am. Yes, and so it'll, it's interesting, and we would, I don't know if I want to jump all of the way to the end, so we'll come back to that, but you probably didn't know as county clerk at that time running for the legislature that the thing that might get you some national attention a few years later would be your expertise in elections. Or did you think that? Well, I didn't foresee the turn of events in the presidential election, but I did request to be the chair of the elections committee in the assembly. And I wasn't my freshman year because freshmen do not chair committees. I was the vice chair. Um, but as soon as I paid my dues as a freshman legislator, I immediately became the chair of the election committee in the assembly and then the chair of the election committee in the Senate. And it is very rare to have an individual um, in a legislative position that has so much experience with 
running elections or clerking or that sort of thing, because that's not something you can go to school for. That is not something um, that the average person knows or understands. It's when you become a clerk, it's on the job training and you have mentors along the way. But, you know, something our technical colleges could probably take a look at as to having a course, whether it be an associate degree or not. Um, I know UW Green Bay has professional development for um, county clerks, but it is not the nuts and bolts of what the duties are. So you moved into the assembly, mm-hmm. and you said some of your motivation to run was you you could run and not lose your job because the the timing turned out to be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were elected then. Did you fill out your term as county clerk? I did. I did. As a matter of fact, I stayed a little beyond because I wanted to... Um, when I took office, the previous county clerk left no information for me. Um, Like I told you, it was a very stressful entry. I was not the chosen one. And so no one talked to me. No one tried to train me. They were, they treated me like um, I was not there, um, which is, was a very uncomfortable thing. And so there was some changes. I had to talk to my deputies, and um, we had to have a meeting of the minds. I followed them around. Um, so um, it, um, it was difficult, to say the least. I missed your point, though, didn't I? No, I'm just asking about your experience going into the legislature. Okay. And you continue to serve. So you continue to be very busy, not well, only— I, Oh, I continued— yes. I continued, I'm sorry, Scott. Yeah. I continued for two months after hoping the county board would make a decision and I would help with the transition. I did not want to be treat the incoming new clerk like I was treated, um, but they wouldn't, um, by advice of the corporation council, wouldn't a- appoint anyone or run an election um, until I was actually gone. So, um, turns out, but I had written instructions and I cross-trained all of the, um, deputy clerks so that they would be able to help the county clerk. So I didn't know how to do apportionment. I didn't know how to do the county board payroll. No one could help me with that because that was the only thing he did, um, without any backup whatsoever. So I made sure that the new county clerk, whether Democrat or Republican, would would have all the tools they needed to do a good job. So you you moved into the legislature. Uh, what year did you uh, actually take office? 2011. Okay. The election was in 2010. All right. Um, so it was a really significant year. Uh, we had it Act was. 10. <laughs> uh, so probably a lot of baptism by fire. So tell us about starting in the legislature and was what it was like to be a a fresh and assembly person from the Chippewa Falls area. Yeah, well, when you um, run for an elected office, um, it's like drinking out of a fire hose. And I think sometimes with any job that you take on um, and it's new to you, um, you you're, it's a lot that you take in at once. Um, however, um, with Act 10... I ran because there was budget issues. I knew there was budget issues. During the campaign, we talked about them. But how we were going to deal with them wasn't 
really fully understood. Um, but it took me a while to explain this to people in a, in a very simple manner. I know there was utter chaos and screaming and yelling and crying and wailing and threatening and all of that stuff going on. But all it boiled down to was for all government employees, county, city, state, all government employees that participate in the state retirement now need to pay the employee portion of their retirement. So understanding one union after another, and there are hundreds of unions in the state. So collective bargaining all of these separate unions wasn't a possibility. For the employees to go back and pay the employee portion rather than the taxpayers paying for the employer portion and the employee portion was really all Act 10 was about. In addition, if you participated in the state um, insurance program, you would have to pay at least 12% of your premiums and a little more for a deductible and copay, which the private sector was doing all of that for a long time. And how I explain it to people that I had no problem voting for that to require myself to pay for uh, my health insurance, more for my insurance and my employee portion of my retirement. I had no problem doing that because my neighbors and friends were losing their jobs. I had a son who was in construction who, who couldn't find work at all. So when you have friends and neighbors and family out of work and you expect them to pay the taxes so that you can have full retirement benefits or that you pay zero. Most government employees paid zero for their health insurance, whether it was a premium or deductibles. And that's a lot to expect of the taxpayers. And so um, it was a tough decision personally, too, because I took a $11,000 pay decrease to, to run for the legislature. And then I voted for this, which was an additional pay decrease. So personally, it was a tough decision for me, too. But I made it work, and, and most all the government employees made it work. During the time in your assembly, one of the issues that was of a lot of interest to our local business community was the Confluence Project. Ah, uh, yes. Um, you were involved in that. I don't know how many people remember. That was 2015, so it was a few years ago. And now we uh, can cross the river here and go walk and see the Pablo Center and Haymarket mm -hmm. Plaza and some of the things and some of the other development that's happened because of that. Uh, what do you remember about uh, seeing that? make its way through the legislature in that budget year of 2015? So that was really, um, I believe that the key to that is having good, healthy relationships and being a well-respected legislator. So in order to be a well-respected legislator, you have to hone in on those relationships ebb and flow, um, see other perspectives. Um, I, I think that um, I've had Representative Hong from Madison, who really does not like Republicans in any way, shape, or form, said she was sorry I'm leaving. And I'm like, holy cow, that's amazing. And so those relationships that I've, I've um, fostered 
in the legislature, and you have to also know where the power lies. It lies in the minority leaders and the majority leaders and, and all those individuals that you go and you have a conversation with them. Now, I took the Gallup Strength Finder, and I happened to, my number one strength is belief. I don't know anybody's number one strength is belief. But I can't sell you something, Scott, unless I truly believe it's the best product ever. So in meeting with the chancellor and with the chamber and all of the individuals um, and understanding the price tag, I had to um, bite that apple a little at a time, take a look at it, understand it. And I got to the point where it makes sense to have one facility that provides um, the arts, um, theater, and music. And rather than the university having one, the city or um, some other private entity having one, why not have one that everyone can enjoy? And then I decided, you know what? This could be a great model for other university cities. And so once I sunk my teeth into that and, and recognized that this is a good thing and a good investment, now I have my belief. And then, then I am, uh, well, Chancellor Schmidt calls me a bulldog. I think it's complimentary. But I sunk my teeth into it and I didn't let go. And so joint finance voted it down. And once joint finance votes something down, they generally do not go back unless it's the Speaker of the House who requests that they go back and revisit this. And I um, swallowed my pride and, and begged um, with uh, Speaker Voss to please do this. I think, you know, I believe it's the right thing to do. I believe it's a good thing to do for this area. And even though um, I have very little of the city of Eau Claire. Um, this whole area, um, what what happens in the Chippewa Valley in general, uh, helps everyone. So he patted me on the head and said, okay, Kathy, we'll make it happen. And so on the drive back from Madison, I called Chancellor Schmidt and I said, I got a pat on the head and the, okay, I'm pretty sure that the joint finance is going to take it back up again and sure enough they did and um and that was key and and speaker Voss and I still have a great relationship and uh we're very candid with each other on many occasions um and um he's he's under fire right now too but um he's he's a good guy overall yeah so I think most people recognize there's more partisanship now do you have any thoughts about that? Is it more than when you entered the legislature in even 2011? Yeah. Scott, everything, everyone's lost their minds. I, know, I don't know any other way to say it. Um, polarization. So you have the far left not happy unless the policies are all far left. So you have the AOCs and those individuals that are not happy with their party because they're not liberal enough. And now we have what I call the Trumpians 
that are not happy because we don't slash and burn. My frustration with this is that you have, in order to get something through Congress, in order to get something through the Wisconsin legislature, it has to be somewhat in the middle. It can't be far left. It can't be far, far right because it will not pass. Now, we passed numerous really good election bills. There were some I didn't like and I voted against, and I didn't mind the governor vetoing those. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is he didn't parse out what was good um, and what really um, enhanced our election laws. He just gets to call them all voter suppression. And that way you don't have to have, you don't have to think. You don't have to know or understand the bills. You just call them all voter suppression. And that was the plan because I told Janet Bewley, I said, don't worry. I know what the plan was. You are all supposed to vote no on these election bills. And your, your excuse for voting no is that they were all voter suppression. So that's what's going on in the world of politics. It's pure partisanship, and it's not even truthful partisanship. You know, do these bills go too far and really cause voter suppression, these three or four bills? Yeah. Yep, I would say probably right. All of them do. So that's where we're at. I pray, actually, that this far left and this far right somehow get a clue and understand that the answer is somewhere in the middle and not, you know, way out there um, on either side, I hope. So what advice do you have for citizens, voters who are thinking about how they should vote and how they might be involved? What, what do you see as the path to the direction you're suggesting? I think you have to read and you have to go to an event that they're at. You have to ask them questions. And if I always thought when I first ran, the one issue, the person who runs on the one issue, the person who runs because of massive voter fraud, which hasn't been proven in the court of law yet, but, you know, the person who runs for one or two issues and it's not to really represent the people and their desires and their needs. Now, granted, I've been told, especially during Act 10, you need to represent your constituents. Well, that's a little tough because 100% of my constituents don't all think alike. So I do my best to follow my values to have a good work ethic, to, to investigate the, the issues, and um, to gauge my constituents the best I can. So you can't represent every individual's opinions. But I think folks need to get out and meet the candidates, talk to them, and be very weary, leery of individuals who run because of massive voter fraud, or they run because um, they're going to have all green energy. Or run, you know, they have one or two things that they want to do that's, I would be suspect. Make sure the candidate runs 
for the right reasons, not for their one or two pet issue, not because they want to be called a state representative or a state senator. No, because they want to represent you, Scott, and your and their districts so that they have a voice in Madison or a voice in Washington. Make sure they're running for the right reasons. All right. So let's kind of go back to one aspect of your, your change in um, service in the legislature, and that is you were in the assembly for several years, and then uh, Terry Moulton decided not to run for re-election, and you ran for his office and were elected. So your experience in the Senate, how was it different than in the assembly? Yeah, Senator Moulton uh, decided to retire, and I met, and they did a survey and said my name recognition was uh, like 60%, which was kind of unheard of. So so they they persuaded me that this would be a good decision. Um, Robin said, you're not going to like it there. Um, at first, I didn't. Um, it seemed like it was more individualistic and not much of a team um, environment. Um, I think it's a tad bit more team environment. Uh, and it's more of a team environment now. Um, I took it on the chin at the beginning because of my position on election bills. Um, my colleagues went after me, actually, which is somewhat unheard of. Um, and um, a couple of them did anyway, outwardly, to media. Um, and so, yeah, I was kind of like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing here? But when I was talking to Jesse James, I said, you know what? Though there's been frustrations and um, the team atmosphere doesn't seem to be here, um, uh, I said, what are the chances of us having passed the mental health beds in, for our area of the state had I not been in the Senate? So being a Christian woman, I believe that God has guided my life in all sorts of ways. And I think, you know, we wouldn't have gotten those mental health beds had I not been there. Because even if I was working on it in the assembly, we would have had to have somebody in the Senate um, really push because Governor Evers vetoed it, um, getting joint finance to take it back up again. Then they use the money. That $15 million got bounced around, let me tell you. First, the governor took it for something else, and then joint finance took it for um, juvenile um, corrections. And then I had to persuade them, thank God we had lots of revenue to work with this time. And so we were able to get the $15 million back in. But I, I honestly think I was you know, that's really maybe one of the reasons why I was there is to get those mental health beds over the finish line and the election stuff to um, try to keep everybody's feet on the floor uh, with that election-related stuff. So and then it's been you, interesting. You found yourself on Joint Finance Committee for the last two years, too. Tell us how that happened. You know, Usually, I was always the targeted one. So Kathy Bernier in the 68th Assembly District, she's the one to take out because her, her district's winnable, right? And so when I ran for the Senate, of course, it's an open seat. It's winnable, Democrats and Republicans. Um, open seats, you know, you got to work hard, but you can win it. So um, I think that 
I was never able to go out and help other candidates because I was always the target. And so then um, this last time, you get a four-year term. So my colleagues, the colleagues I had up, I went out and knocked doors for them. And I also donated some money to their campaigns because I was able to help them. That was kind of a fun thing. That was really nice. And I didn't do it planning to ask to be on joint finance. And I sort of, that's how I said it to Devin Lemihu. I sort of would like to be on joint finance. And, um, and lo and behold, when it all came out, I, I was elected by my peers to be the assistant majority uh, caucus um, chair or vice chair, and then on joint finance as well. And um, I thought, wow. So even though my first two years I didn't like the Senate very well, you know, things were going along pretty well, I guess. So I um, landed a couple leadership positions, and that's a good way to finish out your career. So I was going to say leadership uh Joint Finance Committee, and then you decided it time to end. What what led to your decision to retire? You know, Scott, I always say to folks, you know, what are you going to be doing when you're 70 years old? So I just turned 66, um, not ashamed of it. Um, but I, I would like to um, sort of have a little more free time. Um, this last session especially, um, you know, though joint finance is quite an honor, it's also a huge responsibility and very time-consuming. For several months, I was down in Madison four to five days a week. And it was so funny because I had a somebody wrote a letter to the editor, said I was a great representative, but I haven't really been out in my district much lately. And I thought, because I was on joint finance um, in Madison four to five days a week, along with all of the election um, hearings and all of that. So health issues, you know, you just, there's time to pull the plug. I started babysitting professionally when I was 11 years old. Um, I took care of my siblings. So I have uh, two siblings that are seven, 11 years younger than I am. So I was uh, the chief cook, babysitter and bottle washer at home. And then I started uh, babysitting when I was 11 and got a job when I was just 16. Um, and so I've been working a lot of years. So reflecting back on your public service career, and especially in the legislature, I'm going to ask both of these questions to start with. So maybe we can can end on a little higher note. But what are you perhaps most disappointed in or would wish you could have accomplished in the legislature? And secondly, what do you feel the best about? What are you most proud of in terms of your service? To be perfectly honest, I think I've I pushed and pushed and pushed to get as much done as I possibly could. And I don't have any regrets, Scott. I don't, I didn't leave anything on the table. You know, there are a few bills here and there, which I've handed off to other legislators already. Um, but I think um, overall, the things that my constituents wanted me to do, um, you know, I think overall have been done and you, you react to your constituents and their needs. You know, like I had a veteran who, who couldn't get a um, disabled hunting permit because the nurse practitioner who worked in ONVA was not authorized to sign the document. So he had to drive miles 
to the DNR um, or to uh, the VA hospital to get a signature in. So that got passed and things like that, you know, so many accomplishments, I can't even list them all. So um, I don't have any regrets. There's a lot of election bills that are going to have to come out over again, uh, hopefully with a governor who will read them and understand them and sign them, um, know which ones to veto, which ones not, know when to hold them, know when to fold them. So I, I, you know, that's a bit of a regret. Um, but I know Zach Madden that works for the governor said, I've been the only legislator that ever came to the governor's office and said, you shouldn't have vetoed that bill. And here's where you went wrong and got him to back up. We got the mental health beds back in. I believe that that's one of my biggest accomplishments one of our biggest accomplishments, but I, I, you know, I'm going to take credit for that. I don't care what you say, because usually something comes to you and you try to go through lobbyists and whatever, and um, or organizations. I mean, I sat down with the phone and the computer and started calling healthcare providers, saying, "What will it take to get more mental health beds in Western Wisconsin?" And when I made the phone call to HSHS, Sacred Heart, and Tony Simonson called me back and said, our sisters just voted to make mental health a priority, and we're interested. Oh, my gosh. It's a good deal for everyone. Are there any questions you wished I would have asked you? Oh, I usually never shut up. So, you know, <laughs> I can take it. Um just about any direction, obviously I did. Well, I do have one more question for you, and we always end business matters on this question, and that is why does business matter? Why is that important in our community? Oh, um, I think that um, it seems to me Democrats put more emphasis on government, but government functions to provide services to the business and industries that provide the jobs that pay the taxes. You know, the government is the people. We the people, we work, we pay taxes for the government to provide certain functions. And all of this borrowing is going to come home to roost. It is our businesses and our industries that provide jobs for our, our citizens to earn an income and have the dignity of work and to provide for their families. That's the whole meaning of, of our existence, I think. And I, for one, um, appreciate entrepreneurs, business owners, leaders that take that leap of faith to provide a job. They start out small. Do you know I... That was one conversation we had when I first ran, is the big, bad corporations. Usually, listen to Democrats talk about the big, bad corporations. I'm like, every single corporation was a small business. I went to um, Sam Walton's um, little museum down in Arkansas, and I went to the big corporation headquarters just to see it all. Every single big corporation was a small business at one time. And so we need all business. 
large business, small business. And those of us who are invested in our state retirements or our 401ks, we need big business to do well because that's where our money is invested. So being anti-business or anti-corporation makes absolutely no sense to me. Um, and that's why business matters, Scott. Well, we appreciate that. And uh, before we go, I do want to mention that we have the LeaderCast coming up on June 2nd, sponsored by TrustPoint uh, in partnership with the Chamber and the Chippewa Valley Society of Human Resource Management. Also, our next Eggs and Issues, which is our monthly uh, policy breakfast that Senator Bernier has appeared many times on. The next one is June 17th. We're going to be looking at the future of energy uh, for our community. And then looking farther out ahead, uh, we won't be visiting with Senator Bernier's office next year at the Chippewa Valley Rally, but the date is February 22nd, 2023. Put it on your calendar. It'll be a budget year, and you won't be on Joint Finance Committee for this one. No, I will not. So, Senator Bernier, uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. My pleasure. I'm Scott Rogers with the Eau Claire Chamber of Commerce. Uh, thank you for joining us for Business Matters.